and welcome to the RTE Soccer Podcast. I'm Anthony Pine and I'm very happy to be joined by Colin Bourne and Graham Gartland to reflect on the latest developments in the domestic game. We're going to chat about the battle to beat the drop after Finn Harp's got a huge win against Sligo Rovers. Damien Duff enjoyed Shelburne's gutsy one-all draw with Bowles. We'll talk about how his reign has gone so far. Shamrock Rovers took a big step towards retaining their title with a comprehensive defeat of Dundalk. And the race to win promotion from the first division is coming to the boil. We'll have a look at that as well. And we're going to preview the upcoming FAI Cup game. So plenty to get through. But first of all, Waterford have a new owner. Andy Pilly has purchased the club from Richard Forrest. It's less than a year since Forrest acquired the Blues from Lee Power. So it's another new era for the club. Colin, I'm just going to go through Andy Pilly's resume very briefly. Six promotions with Fleetwood Town. They're now up to League One. He's overseen a redevelopment of their stadium, constructed an £8 million training base at Poolfoot Farm. So you could understand Waterford fans being a little bit sceptical or wary of another new owner coming in, but is there cause for optimism with this guy? I think so. And I've been very harsh on Waterford over the last number of years with the takeovers that has that the club have, have that has happened at the club. Um, I think the signs are better than the previous owner anyway, if I'm being completely honest. And Andy has a fantastic track record in, in business. And um, him and the people that, are, that surround him as well, have, uh, they know the game. And that's really, really important. Like, if you have a look at it, you, you mentioned it, the resume there. 18 years ago, we took over at Fleetwood Town. They were at the f- five leagues below the National League. And in 18 years, look where they are. New, fantastic, new state, uh, not new stadium, but a redeveloped stadium in Highbury. Um, but what he does off the pitch is what I'm most impressed with, Anthony. Um, the community outreach that he does in, in and around the stadium itself. And Fleetwood Town is completely behind that. He set up a, an international football academy at Poolfoot Farm as well, where he brings in residential courses over four, eight, and I think it's 24 weeks where they invite players from all over the world to come in, get UEFA uh, trained coaches in and invite scouts from all over the UK and abroad to have a look at these players. They have players from Bermuda, Australia, America, Canada, and it gives the, those type of players the opportunity and puts Fleetwood Town on the map as well. And just with, they, they set up a community trust as well in 2012. And as I was part of Sporting Fingal a couple of years ago and we set up the, the, the charitable trust at the club. And that's just so important in terms of the community. Um, it's an independent and registered charity and it aims to provide a social inclusive community in amongst um, the area. And he tackles bullying in schools it's as I said. It's just it's he seems to have um, a, a very shoulder. He's a fantastic entrepreneur with the with with what he has done. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm. If I was a Waterford fan, I'd be mightily impressed. Like as I said, he took charge in, in 2004, where there was 80 people at the game in his first first in his first game as an owner. And as you can say, look, look where they are now in League One. And um, yeah, a huge sign of optimism for, for Waterford. He said, Graham, uh, he was speaking to the press yesterday and he talked about the enormous potential at Waterford. So, so what's he getting with Waterford? What is the potential down there? In fairness, the Waterford U teams all train at Waterford University and it's a really, it's a top level facility that they train at as well. Um, so if you have a good relationship with them, so if you go down and play any of their underage teams, 
they're in a top class athletics facility connected to the university down there and it's top notch so and they have a lovely facility for and they do athletics they do um, all sorts of GAA as well over so he's getting that he's getting a one club town you know that does the only Waterford United player or Waterford there's no there's no other conflict they don't have to worry about oh, there's five or six Dublin clubs we saw a, a couple of people come in and, and Kona mentioned Sport and Fingal you're competing against the fan base that's very hard to get because you're, you're brought up into a Bowles family or a Shelburne family or a Rovers family etc so a lot of people in Waterford will back Waterford once they get going and once they feel that the people in charge are pushing the club in the right direction and I do all the stuff that Conan said was stuff he wrote down. He, he obviously business energy solutions, but they got a big government grant there two years ago for six hundred million. But what I like about and, and I think what Conan's touched on probably more eloquently than I have is is the fact that he's put it back into the community. He hasn't just thrown money at a football club and and basically gone well. It's it's all all a bust. He's tried to build it properly, and and the club has grown as. He has grown rather than right. We're just going to flood it with money, and we get all these players in, and we get us up the leagues, and then it just withers away. Um, so that's where I think if you can do that with Waterford, they'd be in a better position. If you, the facilities are there for training, if you can, if you can cement that relationship with them, if you can build up the stadium, if you can build up the infrastructure around the club. He's mentioned the the bit that I think he's he's mentioned here that as might be clever. He's, he's mentioned Watford being a sister club and he has clubs all around the country but a sister club becomes massive because of bringing players into to, through Ireland to then maybe get them to the UK so that's where he probably sees this but he's not going to just throw money at it in terms of and and then he'll fit it out and he's away I think he's going to try and build this so that it becomes a sustainable football club European money in, in, in this country now has become a massive thing as well you, you know you saw that with Rovers this season you've seen it with Pats you can qualify for Europe and have a, a good run at it and make serious money and back on your investment in, in a short space of time because of the Europe. He's never going to get that at Fleetwood. He's never going to get that European money. So he sees a chance of, you know what, this makes business sense. He's a very clever businessman. He's not going to come in and take something if it doesn't make business sense neither. So um, I'm, uh, hopefully he puts infrastructure around the club and he builds a club up because you need big regional clubs, you, you need a good Waterford, you need a good Cork, you need a good Galway, you need to spread the, the football club around the country, but they need to be doing it in a proper um, infrastructured way. So just generally as well for the league, Colin, there was a good interview, Conor Howey, uh, Drawdy United's chairman, had a good interview with Dan McDonald in the Irish Independent on Saturday, and he, he was speaking about Drawdy's need to transition to a, a full-time professional setup, but they can't do it without outside investment. So, you know, if you have a guy coming in, he's got a good track record um, of not just investing in the playing side of things, but laying down infrastructure. They have sister clubs, as Graham touched on there, they have sister clubs in the UAE uh, and in South Africa, Fleetwood do. So I think he, Andy Pilly had sort of mentioned that they would look to maybe bring some of play, some young players from those parts of the world through Ireland because of Brexit, it might be a, a gateway to England. So it, this, this is interesting on a few levels, isn't it? On a few fronts, just for the league generally. He's a very clever man. I think he knows what he wants. Um, and what I'm looking at the press press conference yesterday or reading the comments that came from it, the word longevity came up a lot. Um, and I think that's that's very, very important to Waterford fans is that hearing that those 
those words because over the last number of years it's been diabolical really with, with what's going on um with the owners with what's going on managers lost count it's eight um over the last number of years so i think longevity is very very important to waterford and stability as well and i think if they get those two um the waterford will come back to where they where they where they should be as um as graham said that, that it's important to have those regional um clubs dotted around the country i think it's been said a lot now i think shamrock rovers is the club furthest south in in the premier division and that's absolutely incredible when you think of the likes of the clubs that are further south with the likes of waterford cork um so yeah i with with there's a lot of avenues you could go down when you're talking about andy um andy pilly and with the reasons behind the club but i think with what graham said i think the european aspirations that came up yesterday as well um he did talk about europe and um getting in there but i think longevity was the most important that's the word i took out of it more more so than anything else um and i'm really looking forward to see how how it all develops yeah and waterford are, are currently third in the first division so i mean they, they look like they're they're certainly going to make the playoffs and who knows, they might actually be in the Premier Division next season. Um, we'll, we'll move on then and just take a look back at last week's games. As I, I just want to start with the um, Bowles match and that, that ended one all. Uh, a good point for Shells. Graham, just, just generally, like, what have we made of Damien Duff's reign so far? Because I have to say, like, what strikes me about him is that he, he's not afraid to wear his heart in his sleeve. He really has thrown himself into this you can imagine, right? He is Damien Duff. Every League of Ireland he goes to, it's not just that for opposing fans, you have the chance to beat Shelbourne, you have the chance to beat Damien Duff. I imagine he's getting his fair share of stick, but he's he's really been part in the sleeve, properly, emotionally invested in it. What have you made of the job he's done so far? Considering it's a team that's just been promoted, and 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 that's the bit where he, I think that I think the style of football he's trying to play has been great. I, I can see you can see what he's trying to do. He's trying to own the ball. He's trying to move teams around. Normally, when a team comes up, they tend to be and and I've been there. So in, in um, pre previously playing in Scotland, you come up and you're trying to stay in games. You're trying to be more dogged. He, he's really attacked the league in terms of trying to. I don't mean attack the leagues and gone after teams and all that, but he's tried to play football in the right way. Where normally I think and I just got up and survive. So from that sense, I I I give him a lot of credit and that he's trying to play football in the right way. Um, they, they probably haven't scored enough goals for his like, and I think they've only scored twenty five goals, which I think he he probably be something he'd like to put right. They've conceded probably. Other than, yeah, they've conceded the least amount of goals in the bottom half of the table, which is something that I think he'd be happy with. For, and Joe, I know Joey O'Brien would be considerably happy with that. In terms of, like, he has, he's, he, only he knows what he goes through as being Damien Duff. He's had to carry that from a long, long time away. But you know that that's going to come with it. So everything he says becomes a soundbite or everything he says becomes. But in fairness, I, you can't tell a man what to say and what not to say. And if he wants to come out and, and be passionate after a game, that's on him. It's something that it, it creates um, it creates stories around League of Ireland, and 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 he's he's brought that level up of of interest in the league because of who he is. Um, again, I have a lot of time for Kevin Doherty. I know Damien from his time at Rovers, 
But it, that two grown men decide what they want to say, and it's up to us if we want to pick pick through. We can. I'm not sitting on the fence about it. He has brought the level of interest up, um, and and he's just trying to back shells. He's trying to back what he's trying to do at the club, and you you can see he's trying to galvanise a club that's been a little bit probably since since its collapse in in 2006. I think it was after he won the league. They've been a bit of a yo-yo club. They haven't really been stable. And I think with the new owners going in the dame, and you can see he just wants to have a stable club, try and build it again, build through their academy too. And he's passionate about it and he's going to give everything, the same as he did as a player. He's going to give everything he can. He doesn't know any other way. He, I always see with the likes of Damon, he doesn't know any other way to be successful than to go all in on it. It's the same as he was as a player. He was dedicated as a footballer. He practised probably to the point where it was it wasn't healthy, as he said before. You know, he overdone at times. He's probably doing the same as a coach because that's what brought him success as a player, and that's what he's relating it to. So, um, listen, it's brought great interest to the to the league, and I've a lot of time for Joey O'Brien as well. I think he's a fantastic coach. So, I look I look forward to seeing him around for a long time. Yeah, I mean, look, he's not only a huge name; he is a big personality, as you say, Graham, and that doesn't do the league any harm either. You know, <laughs> this bit of needle and rivalry and narratives. It, it, you know, it, it's the Roddy Collins. You know what yeah. I mean? He, <laughs> exactly. Twenty years. Well, uh, another big character, of course, is Ollie Horgan, and they had a big win against Sligo Rovers at the weekend. They're off the foot of the table now, Conan. Um, will they do it again? Will they? Will they beat the drop? I think their experience is key. Experience is key, and I think that because they're in this position every year, no disrespect to them, is that they probably have that advantage. Um, now over the next couple of games, they have they have three very very difficult games against Pats, Rowers, and Bows, and previously they've only picked up three points from those games this season. But you can say the same with UCD; they have arguably an even tougher three games, and they're they're, they're up against Derry, Dundalk, and, and Shamrock Rovers. They've only picked up one point this season from those from those games. So. Um, they are coming into a bit of form. You could you could say two wins from three. I, I've I, they're they're scoring a few goals, but disappointing loss away to UCD. I think if they had have won that game and gone on that run of three in a row, you probably would have put have said there yeah, they're they're gonna they're gonna get there. But I think the manner of their win over Sligo at the weekend was was crucial. Um, obviously going down to ten men with with twenty five minutes to go when Ryan Connolly got sent off straight after we scored. Um, it shows that character to to stay to stay ahead to stay um to keep that three points at home in front of the fans. Um, Ryan Rainey and, and Barry McNamee were influential in the game. Um, Barry probably is not having the season that he would like himself. Um, because we all know how talented he is, but came to the fore, he was magnificent, and they've brought in Gary Boylan from Galway United as well. Um. And Gary is a very, very good defender. And that's what they need. They need good, good defenders. Rob Slevin has done really well this year. Ethan Boyle alongside him as well. Regan Donnellan at left back. He's notching up assists week after week um, from his deliveries from set pieces, which is helping the likes of when Rob Jones is coming in. Eric McWoods is scoring goals. Mihailovic is doing really, really well. Um, Elian Z in the middle of the park is just box to box, really energetic, loves a yellow card. Um, but yeah, I... I I just think the experience, Anthony, will will probably get them get them over the line. Like if you take UCD for example, they're they're full of quality. 
like Dylan Duffy is absolutely magnificent. I think he's going to have a really, really big, uh, bright future. Thomas Lonergan as well. Sean Brennan was, has been really, really good. Sam Todd, who played for Finn Harps at the heart of the defence, he's very good. And Jack Keeney, who was suspended over the last couple of games, he's back and he'll be he'll be, uh, he'll be be a big asset. I think he'll probably drop in at centre-back now that Eric Yarrow's gone over to Bolton Wonders. But um, if you're going to ask me who do I think is going to stay up, I'm going to, I probably would say Finn Harps, just given the experience that is that is in their team. Yeah, at, at the other end of the, the table then, Graham, Derry were held uh, one all by Drodder. Drodder having a solid campaign, I have to say, this year. Uh, and Sean McGraw was then Beth Dock 3-0. That, that's them seven points clear at the top of the table uh, with the game in hand, which was, you know, from their point of view, the ideal response to that defeat to, to Ferenc Varus. Uh, is that it, Graham, realistically? Um, to be honest, without being... and I, I'm very cautious of saying this because you sound like you're being disrespectful to... The league, but I think that's what I think it's one hand firmly on the trophy, like, and the other one's on its way up. Um, because the way I look at it, they're already seven points clear. If I have the thing, yeah, they're seven points clear. They have a superior goal difference of 26 to uh, 17 now, so that gives that's eight. Um, that's an extra sort of so you have to lose three games, but not only do you have to lose three games, Dundalk and have to win every remaining game. And I, I can't see Rovers losing three games, and I can't see Dundalk winning every every game to finish out the season. They they they've, they probably get too many draws. So I I it's you can't just go that's it, it's over. But because games have to be played and you have to take care of the business what's in front of you. But like you said, where do you see Rovers going losing two games in a row? With the fixtures like the. I think Bowes away is a tough one for them. Uh, Drotted away has been tough. Pats at home and the Derry at home fixture will be the ones that you think right, they might drop points. Um, but they don't they don't drop points consistently. Whenever they have a, a dip or they lose a game, they always bounce back. So they go on another run then of three or four wins and then it might, if, it, if it's another loss. But Dundalk are then having to win every game. So I just think with the way Rovers are and, and the... Ronan touched on the experience of Finn Harps. I think the experience Rovers have of the last two league campaigns as well, on top of the fact that they are experienced players and the players have won leagues with Dundalk and stuff and previous things, they're not going to let it slip. And you've seen that on Sunday with the performance that everybody was saying, oh, they're going to be tired, it's a tough game, Dundalk can go here, this is it, this is the chance to beat them in Tala and then put pressure on them. And and Rovers' game plan worked to a T and, and the the really hurt Dundalk on the break and punished them on the break. And it was probably the best in terms of on the ball Dundalk have been at in Tallaght in a long time. And even Pats, even when Stevie took his team there with Pats last season, they weren't probably as good on the ball as, as Dundalk were this time. But but it's the most they've lost by. So Dundalk have gone there and lost one nil or drew nil all. And even with Stevie O'Donnell's Pats teams, they've got a draw there that may be lost but you got goal. But to lose 3-0 to your to a rival and one of the biggest games of the season for Dundalk is a, is an emphatic statement from Shamrock Rovers. The second leg of that Farns Varus tie is, is live on RTE on Thursday evening from half seven. Is, is there any Cheers. slip? Cheers for the plug, Anthony. Little, little plug there, Graham. Just got to tick all the boxes. <laughs> yeah. uh, is there any sliver of hope there, Graham? They, they did look a good side. Uh, there. Yeah, they were very good. And I spoke to Stephen before the game on Thursday, and he was, you know, he was like this and did that top notch, Graham. And I said, Yeah, I could see that. Um, and it's a tough one because you're 4 0 down, but you want to ha- have a performance. 
that takes you in, that gives you the confidence to then take you into the group stages, you know. Is it beyond them? I think 4 nils beyond them. But I also think that there's a chance for the likes of Jack Bourne needs minutes. Dan clearly needs to get more game time as well. Oil Maomaku, who was sick, needs game time. So it's a chance for them to get fitness and like a, a pace of play up for these European games that the players come in and they're getting uh, game game minutes under their belt, but they're getting the pace of play in Europe under their belt as well that they can carry into the group stages. So that's important. So this isn't just a throwaway game for Shamrock Rovers. It's an important game that they need to carry then that form and that um, sort of momentum into the group stages. And they've performed really well at home in Europe this season. So we're looking forward to another game there as well. Yeah, just just briefly then as well, coming on the first division, uh, Cork City had a, had a big win there. Seven points clear as well, actually, at the top of the table. And you talk about, you know, Southern clubs and, and big names to getting back into the, into the top flight. Like that's, they have a real chance now, don't they, to, to go and get themselves back to the Premier Division where they would have, they would think they belong. And I think most people would say a club with that sort of size and support and everything that they have, uh, it would be good to see them back, I think. Yeah, you probably say that about a couple of the clubs down there, Anthony. Like you have Galway and I there sitting in second and Waterford in third. And I said earlier on that Waterford back des- deserve to be back where they belong in the in the Premier Division as well. But Cork, they've been absolutely magnificent. Um, undefeated in 24 games. That came at home to Treaty a couple of weeks ago. And I just think with their the spine of their team has been absolutely fantastic. David Harrington in goal has been absolutely superb. And you have the experience of Ali Gilchrist and Kevin O'Connor. You have um, Aaron Bulger and Matt Healy in midfield who've been ever-present. Matt Healy, the scorer of sensational goals as well. I can remember a cracker down at St. Coleman's Park there a couple of months back. And then you have goals up front. Rory Keating banging them in. Two late goals there against Cove, coming back from 1-0 down um, to, to defeat them 2-1. A massive victory considering what happened at Galway. And um, as you say, seven points clear. Graham said there that Shamrock Rovers have one hand on, firmly on the trophy, but I suspect Cork have the two on theirs. Yeah, and uh, all those clubs that we mentioned, or most of them, can now take a, a bit of a breather from the grind of, of the league because it's FAI Cup weekend. Just just a quick rundown of the fixtures on Friday. Galway United are at home to UCD. Lucan United are at home to Bowles. Wexford host Dundalk. Derry City and Cork City clash up at the Brandywell. Bonnachie United host Shelburne. On Saturday, Malahide United play Waterford. Manute play 3D United and then on Sunday, Graham, get your draw the hat on for this one. Draw the United at home to Shamrock Rovers. That, that's a good toy, isn't it? That's a tough That's a great to toy, yeah. That's a it's a great toy for draw the they've, they've beaten Rovers up there uh, recently, one uh, 0 Um so they'll feel do you know what they can beat anybody on the day in United Park or heading the game park now, as it's called. Um so yeah, the, the intriguing one for me on this is 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 probably Galway UCD because um I think it becomes a to see what happens in the if if that becomes the playoff. So it'll be interesting to see how they measure up against each other and what's going to come out if if that's who they end up getting in the playoffs. So that that to me is the one that I'm thinking. Right, Cork City and Derry is a massive game. Like that's to be honest, when you think of the old games that you had back years, Cork City and Derry would be a sellout at, at, in both stadiums and be a fantastic occasion. So they're the games that you're looking to in the cup. That it's mad to think that like Galway United and Cork City are first division clubs. When you look at how big them games are and how much they jump out with you on this. Yeah, Connor, just just quickly as well. Actually, I'm just just looking through that fixtures. There's a couple of non-league teams: Lucan, Bonaghy, or Donegal, uh, Malahide United, Manu. Um, 
how difficult is it for teams like that now to make a dent or to come up against even first division size? So it's, it's the think they make the semi-final, Conan? Do you think one of them will make a semi-final? No. <laughs> no. Is the group I mean, getting bigger, do you think, then, lads? Or... Yeah, I think so. I And for a number of different reasons as well. I think the seasons don't help because they're out of season at the moment. They're only starting their first first or second game of their, their season um, this week. So fitness is going to play a massive toll on it. Um, like you're looking at Usher, Usher Celtic in, in Dublin that went down to Treaty. And a lot of people probably from the area and around Grange Gorman would, would be like, yeah, fancy, fancy ourselves down here. And they got battered 5-0. Yeah. Um, so look, I, it, it doesn't favour the non-league clubs having the, the FAI Cup on this this time of year. So unless the season is aligned, you might see an upset. But until then, I, I, I don't see it. Yeah, you might see, possibly could, the only one this weekend will be Minute University Town. Um, obviously, Kieran Kilduff is involved in, in the setup down there and they have a, a fantastic side. Um, and they might do something, but I don't, I really can't see Malahide, Bonaghy or, or, or Lucan causing any of the uh, of the other teams any problems whatsoever unfortunately but nor should they like in my opinion like the, these the air clubs should be pulling away in terms of the, how professional they are how fit they are the infrastructure behind them um, how they how they look after themselves on and off the pitch how they do their video analysis all that stuff has moved on in the last five or ten years where you're not you're not unsure of where you're going you know what I mean? Like, I, I think in 03 with Longford, I remember, I think, Dundalk, uh, we played Tolka, Tolka went 1 0 up, and we're like, got a bit of a fright, and then you go and you, you, you beat them. We went down to Cork and played a team and torn us cross down there, and again, they had a chance in the first five minutes, and after that, then you just blow them away. But we were going into the unknown a little bit, like getting reports nowadays with the way things are and with how professional clubs are. and all the strength and conditioning coaches that have come in and the diets and all that. Clubs that are in the Premier Division should be pulling away from um, the amateur clubs around the country. So that's, I, that's where I don't think that will, like, I agree with Conan, you won't see a, an amateur club get to a semi-final in the next uh, 10 years, and nor should they. Yeah, I mean, you will see, like, players in around the Leinster Senior League or the Munster Senior League that are clearly would have the ability to play League of Ireland, but maybe just don't have the commitment or, or whatever their personal circumstances are. But are you lads are saying now that the League of Ireland clubs, just fitness levels alone and preparation is, is sort of just widening that gap now? See, that's the issue, I think, Anthony, is that when you hear that, you, like, like obviously I'm playing Lancaster Senior League now myself and I'm I'm hearing players that, oh, they could easily play at first division, premier division level. No, they can't. Because if they were, they would be. The, if they could, they'd be there. Mm. And you're hearing stories about, oh, it's their job commitments, their work commitments. Uh, paid enough and all, all this type of nonsense I think um, because I, as far like when you play against these players yes they might be technically good on the ball but it's the off the ball stuff that they are so way behind um, even the, the, the smallest little bit of movement and that's it that they don't know where they are or they don't know where, where the opposition player is so yeah some of them could, could potentially play first division football and yes, the, the money isn't great, but hopefully hearing reports the minimum wage is coming in next next year, which would be which would be great. And you might see some players going going up. But I've always been the opinion that if you you talk about commitment and, and professionalism, if you want to play at a higher level, you do. No matter 
no matter what you get. It would be a sad indictment, Colin, if if uh, professional clubs went backwards enough that like the fitness levels dropped, the preparation dropped, all the standards dropped, the training grounds weren't great, so you couldn't do any of this stuff. And then amateur clubs were able to compete. That that would be sad for the, the country and the league in general. It's not that I don't want to see uh, Leicester Senior League or amateur teams doing well. Of course you want to see that. And the more vibrant they are, great, because but you're going to get a spill-in effect of which is the National League is going to make them stronger because the lads that don't maybe break into the from 19s that break into that first team in the national leagues might drift into them leagues and that will make them stronger. But the top end should always be stronger. The top should be stronger because if you have a stronger national league, you have a stronger national team and and, and you'll see that with even the 21, 22 year olds that are all going away to the UK now. So, so it's not that I don't want them to be, I don't want them to be caught for the standard of Irish football. It's not that I don't like it or I don't think it's going to happen. I, I just I, I wouldn't want it to happen neither because that way the standards would be would be dropping at our top league in this country. Well, sorry, Anthony, just quick, just quickly, like I, I, just in terms of like there, there's late developers as well that yeah. that can potentially that play Leinster Senior League. They might have dropped out of underage academies at 19, 18, 19, just didn't make it to first team level. And I was one of them. I played for in the AUL when it was a strong, strong enough league before signing for UCD. Paddy Cavanagh did the same when he was with Bangor. Jer Short signed for Wexford there from from Collinstown and is having a magnificent season. So there is, there is Lee Grace, yeah. So there's players that that can make the step up. But I'm saying those are the players that want to. You know, there's that that and that's that's an important point to say. If you want to play at a higher level. There is players that in that that are playing non-league football that can. Yeah, Adam Foley is another one. As I, yeah, I exactly. Um, all right, lads, can I get get a prediction then? Who's whose names on the cup for us? <laughs> Outright winners. Look, yeah, I. You have to say the best team was, was like I don't want to be that boring and just say Shamrock Rovers like, but it, they're the best team, and I know Graham might sit on the fence over it but I'd say Shamrock Rovers are, are the best team in the country by an absolute mile um, just in terms of strength and depth quality manager um, everything it's it's uh, it's phenomenal really and even just take Rory Gaffney for instance and what the management and the coaching team have done with him he when he came into the league when he was at Limerick um, so raw he'd make silly runs um, just uses pace more so than his brain. But I think what Shamrock Rovers coaching staff have done with him has been nothing short of remarkable. Even from when he first signed for Shamrock Rovers to now, he's a completely different player in how he plays the game. And it's those little nuggets of um, quality in a coach that brings players on. And... Um, but yeah, geez, I went off on a tangent there. You ask me who won, who's going to win the FA Cup. Um, I know Rory Gaffney sounds like he's going to win it. <laughs> I'm going to say, uh, I'm going to say Shamrock Rovers, but I think Derry City might have a good good shot as well. Okay. Yeah, they were the two I was looking at. After seeing the Dundalk game on Sunday, it sort of made me think twice because uh, what I seen what Rovers done to them on the day, I thought they're a bit open and they're a bit light defensively. Um, Dirty, where they seen Dirty had a really good game against Rovers in the in the games they played against them. Um, up in Dirty especially, um, I thought they were really good a couple of weeks ago against them. 
uh, and they played really well against them at Tallis Stadium, but they just need a bit of consistency. But if you can play a one-off game well, that that bodes well for the cup. Um, so I, I, that's where I think it's between Rovers and Derry, and it depends where where they meet. They meet in the final, great. I think it's a great occasion. If they meet in the semi-final up in the Brandywell, you know what I mean? It, the, the occasion goes with, but it depends where they meet. But I, I agree. It's hard because I say Rovers and everybody sighs because they think, but I've seen every team this season come and play Rovers and I always think Rovers are finding, and I've seen, you've seen that on Sunday, Rovers find a way to win the game. They, won, they, they beat Dundalk in a completely different manner. They gave them six, uh, Dundalk at 66% possession. Rovers still won the game. So they're finding way, different ways to win the game and get through their games now. Obviously, we were Europe. So if they're able to do that in the Cup as well, I think Rovers could do it too. Yeah, uh, we, we'll just briefly turn our attention to the to the women's game. Um, it's disappointing for Shelburne the exit of the, cha- the women's Champions League on Sunday after a three 0 defeat to uh, Icelandic side Valor. That game was played in Slovenia. Uh, they had claimed a one 0 victory against ZNK in their opening game uh, last Wednesday, but the journey ended on them. Uh, ended for them on Sunday against strong opponents. Uh, they're back in league action on Saturday night away to Galway and they sit two points clear of Wexford at the top of the table with seven games to go. So the priority there for Noel King will be to retain the title so they can have another crack at Europe next year. Elsewhere on Saturday, DLR Waves host Cork City at four o'clock. Mount face Treaty United at five. Bowls play Wexford Utes at six. At the long clash with Sligo Rovers at seven and then that Galway Shells match kicks off at 7.35pm on Saturday night. Now, just a quick word, and I don't want to go, we don't need to deep dive into this um, Manchester United win against Liverpool, Manchester United at Liverpool 2-1 at Old Trafford on Monday night. Uh, but just, it, it's a bit mad, lads, isn't it, how reactionary things are? Because a week ago, Manchester United were finished, they were in chaos. Uh, their centre-half was too small to play football in the Premier League. Um Fast forward, you know, eight, nine days, and now Liverpool are the ones in turmoil. Like, it, it's kind of exhausting, isn't it? It's, it's nearly <laughs> overwhelming, the hype around these type of games and fixtures. Um, did you see the match, Graham? Were you watching yeah. it? Oh, yeah, like you said, it's just hyperbole, and it's like, like the, the lad plays one good game, and all of a sudden, and, and like, even the Van Dyke stuff, and I've been frustrated with watching Van Dyke at times. I remember saying something last year and I, I was actually a little bit embarrassed to, to, to sort of half criticise him because he's just, he's that good a defender. But like like you said, the Martinez one, you know, he, he makes a few tackles and roughs up a few people and he's exactly what you know you'd need. Like, and you're sort of going, relax a little bit, like, you know. Um, players players at the top level in the Premiership, you're, you're remember for doing it over a consistent period of time. The best players are like people that are remembered and people that are the clubs. You see, you see even the reaction Keane's getting on the side of the pitch. You're remembered for being consistent over a period of the time. The, the Martin, Martinez needs to settle down into his team, and you can judge him after his season or maybe two seasons. But you're they're judging him after three games. So I think the critics of him in the first few games were a bit harsh, and I think the praise of him for this game is a little bit over the top as well. I just think just everybody needs to. To, to calm down on things, you know, but we're so quick to put titles on people, or, or he's exactly like him, or he's exactly like him. Let let them be themselves and play play the game. But yeah, I I thought the whole thing around it just became where it was the build up was huge. Even afterwards, they went and done interviews with journalists and all, and you're like, just treat the game and what it is. And 
you know, again, you know, you had a game plan, they worked, they played with an intensity and a velocity that they haven't played with in a long, long time. Now, are they able to keep that up against other teams this season? I don't think so. And the reason I don't think so is both Martinez and Varane went down with cramp in the game. Now, they are two centre-backs that probably don't run the kilometres that other people have. So the ferocity and the, the nervous tension and all that got to them. To play at that level of ferocity for the for a full season takes a lot out of you. So I, I don't think they'd, they'd be able to continue that. But a one-off game against Liverpool or Old Trafford after you've just been absolutely battered away to Brentford, they had to have a reaction. There was no other way that was going to be. And the, that's the disappointing from Liverpool is when you know a slap is coming or you know somebody's going to swing, you have to be ready for it. And Liverpool didn't look like they were ready for it. And that's what I think caught them out. And then by the time they do get a rhythm, everybody's in the game. They're, they're, they're more aggressive. The fans are in it. Everybody's in the game where if, if they had been prepared for it and knew what was and reacted to what was coming um, or acted on what was coming, not reacted, acted on what was coming, they could have silenced that. And I, and that's where I think they, 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 let, uh, they played into United's hands on the night. Yeah, just just generally, Conan, like it's very hard. It's hard like to get your head around the pressure or the levels that these players operate at. Because you look at what Liverpool have achieved and players, you know, Jordan Henderson, Virgil van Dijk, uh, for years, a couple of bad games, and there's people saying they're finished, they're done, what's going on? I mean, it, the pressure that these guys, it, it's hard to actually imagine how how intense it is you know just to, to sustain that for such a long time uh how, how difficult is it to just keep it going day in day out game after game especially when you're the one being chased at the top you know yeah well let's just look at darwin nunes for example and look at look at the start that he has made like he comes on and, and does really well in the community shield and goes absolutely crazy and glorified friendly as, as you'd like to, as i'd like to call it anyway and then obviously the pressure of the game against palace where He's a rough and tumble for a, for a couple of minutes, um, and then does a moment of madness and gets sent off for it. Like it's and that's all pressure, Anthony. There's nothing more more to it than that. He wants to succeed. He wants to do well. He's playing in front of the cop in in that second half. He wants to score goals. Um, he sees what Sadio Mane has done at the club. He wants to emulate what he has what he has achieved. But so it's it's one hundred percent pressure. And just the game the other night, I was like. Graham has said he was embarrassed about Virgil van Dijk and criticised him last year. But you, I, I think you have to criticise him over that first goal where he didn't step out and yeah. and, and and like blocks Sancho because it was an, an, an easy decision to make. He, I, I really don't understand it. And I've, look, I've, I've, said, I've talked about Alexander-Arnold enough now. I think he's absolutely magnificent going forward. Brilliant uh, ability of uh, um, crossing ability and and put it on a sixpence, but defensively, I just, I think he, he, Funny, isn't it? Like Liverpool's front players are more aggressive in how they defend than their actual defenders at times. The defenders bring a calmness to it and a relaxedness to it, and that's great. And listen, as somebody who was a defender, I wished I had a bit more of the relaxedness, but there's also a time to bring aggression to the game. And, and, and of course, you know, you can be rash or you can jump out in front of things and make a bad challenge and someone go, oh, you got set down there. And I go, I know, but I had to, I had to commit to that because if I don't, he's going to score. And there's times when I think sometimes they're a little bit too passive and a little bit, 
and they lack aggression at vital times, especially when people are pulling triggers. And and the biggest thing is, I have no problem with them giving up shots. They give up shots in, at certain angles, if you watch Liverpool. They give up front post shots and they trust their goalkeeper. So they don't open the legs so that nobody can shoot through the legs and kill your keeper. I have no issue with that. That, that That's good defending. But there's also a time when a fella's pulling the trigger down the middle of your goal where both sides are open and you have to risk on putting it through your legs. But you also know that you're going to take one. You're going to take one in the chest to take one in the face. And that comes with defending. And to be honest, making a block like that for me was as good as a goal. I, I loved it. You know, that, and that's what Conan would probably miss different things about football. I miss that side of defending, that last-ditch stuff. Trying, but that's what I'm saying to you. When you see... When you see Liverpool's front players, they press with such an aggression and their midfield press with such an aggression. And then there's this passiveness that comes in from Trent Alexander-Arnold and, and Virgil van Dijk. But the touch on the pressure thing, you don't blame them for just switching off and, and cocooning themselves at times. Because if you went on Twitter after a game, I went off Twitter when I became assistant manager at Dundee because I just thought, I don't want to see it. I don't want to listen to it. Uh, but if you go on it, and you see what they're saying, you're like, Jesus, this these fellas have given 10 years to a football club and they're just written off like that for one game. And you can see why I, I I think players would just actually go, Do you know what? I'm gonna switch off. I don't I don't want to interact with people because if I don't interact when it's going good, I, or if I don't interact when it's going bad, I don't really want to interact when it's going good because then you think it's okay. So I don't blame them from switching off from that side of it and what's and what they read and, and, and how quick they're written off or how quick they're anointed as he's going to be the best midfielder for the next 10 years in the league. You know, like, just let them get through a couple of seasons. Graeme Sooners and Roy Keane speak really well on that side of it and being, listen, relax. You haven't done it just yet. Just let them grow, let them mature and let them see where they come. Where I think, again, they're too quick to, to put that praise on them and put that pressure on them, what comes with that, where you have to live up to it now. You know what I mean? Declan Rice, you can't be in a team that's bottom of the league. Drag them through it. You have to drag them through it. If you want to be a real player, a top player, you have to drag them through it. And, and there's an element that that's where your personality comes. But they're putting all that on him. There's, a, there's 10 other players on the pitch as well, you know? So, in that side of it, I do agree that I think the hyperball around the whole team is just a little bit much. But body language as well, Graham, in terms of like, there's going to be, there's cameras looking at you at every yeah. single angle. And if you... If you're not playing and there could be something going on in your personal life or whatever, they're going to be saying, oh, he's, he does not be with his manager. He's not playing. Yeah. He, he, do you know, like even with Ronaldo the other day, he, there, was a, there was a player cam of him sitting on the bench, seeing his reaction after a goal. And then they're saying, oh, it's brilliant, isn't he? The way he's clapping his hands and standing up and when Sancho put the ball in the back of the net. Like, it's, it's madness. It's no, absolutely madness. Yeah. And, the, and the, the hypocrisy of the Nunes one, like... Suarez was an absolute bleed lunatic at Liverpool, like a lunatic, like kicking people, biting people, racist abuse. They loved him. They loved him. They thought, because they thought he's going to carry us to a title, which was, they want, ultimately wanted what he was going to bring. They loved him. And now all of a sudden, Nunes, he hasn't got the temperament to play in the Premier League. If, if Suarez doesn't get banned for those seven games after the racing incident that year, they lose the title by two points or something to Man City. If he doesn't miss them four or seven games from the carryover from the ban, they win the league. I, I actually think it was, uh, that ban was when he bit... Uh, Ivanovic. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, look, we Liverpool home to Bournemouth and United have a, a bit of an awkward one away to Southampton. So um, we'll see. It might swing again before the weekend is out. 
Uh, listen, I'll just, just to sign off, uh, we would like to pay tribute to former FAI president and UEFA executive board member Des Casey, who has died age 91. Uh, the Dundalk man was FAI president from 1984 until 1986, when he was heavily involved in the appointment of Jack Charles. He remained as honorary secretary up until his 70th birthday in 2002, uh, synonymous with Dundalk and an honorary president at the time of his death, actually. Uh, his family provided Casey's Field, which was the land that became Oriel Park back in 1936. Current FAI President Jerry McEnany described Des Casey as one of the great custodians of Irish football for so many years and a gentleman who treated everyone he met with such respect throughout his life. And there's been many similar tributes to Des Casey over the last 24 hours. So may he rest in peace. That's all from us this week. Um, and thanks again to Conan and Graham for joining me. We'll be back again next week. So join us then. Good luck. Thank you.